Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForce. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The the table. Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't don't let them stop. Stop you, don't don't let them stop you. Multi-instrumentalist Alex Klein is among Nashville's prominent number one hit producers and songwriters. She plays lead guitar, banjo, dobro, mandolin, bass, lap steel, and piano, and often plays on the records she produces. Klein, an alum of Berklee College of Music, recently made history as the first woman to solely produce a media-based number one country hit with Tennille Arts' single, Somebody Like That. She was an AIMP Nashville Awards nominee for Nashville Rising Songwriter of the Year and has built her career based on her musical intuition and versatility. Alex's songs have been recorded by Ronnie Dunn, Reba McIntyre, Mitchell Tenpenny, Terry Clark, Gary Allen, Bill Anderson, and more. Her production work can be heard on collections by Tennille Arts, Terry Clark, Stephanie Quayle, Tara Thompson, Adam Brand, Maggie Rose, and more. In 2019, CMT enlisted Klein to produce the network's Ram Truck Initiative, which gives developing artists the resources they need to further their artistry. In 2014, Klein signed a co-venture with Aaron Enderlin's company 10,000 Hours and Reba McIntyre's Starstruck Publishing. While honing her craft writing for Starstruck Entertainment, she began producing music, becoming one of the few women to take the lead on production in the Nashville music community. In addition, Klein was also a member of the Luna Bells, an all-women country band, and the group landed a top 40 hit single with A Place to Shine as a signed act with Sony Music. Please welcome to the table, Alex Klein. Okay, Alex Klein, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Welcome to the table, women. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're really happy to have you because we have spoken so, so much about obviously female creators in the entertainment industry, but we've spoken multiple times about how much we love working with uh, producers that are women and how hard they are to find in this industry sometimes. And you are someone that has been just, I feel like an incredible tether. I feel like that from the day I set foot in Nashville, I heard about you. And um, I've heard about you from so many people seeing the incredible work you do. And I'm really excited to talk to you because we and our audiences have some questions. Oh, awesome. Yeah, they're very excited. And we ha- actually just did a Q&A episode um, where we got some production questions and we had the whole conversation about women in production specifically. Um, but since uh, we are kicking things off and people have gotten a little bio snippet, can you give us the rundown of how you kind of got into the industry, how you got into producing and what that looked like for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, gosh, I uh, got into the industry. Well, I knew that I wanted to be a songwriter, I guess, since I was in high school when I discovered that that was a job. I wasn't quite sure what that looked like or where that was, but I mm-hmm. ended up going to college um, at the Berkeley College of Music up in Boston. And uh, every year they do like a really cheap spring break trip down here in Nashville. And they bring down about like, I don't know, 50 or so students and they stay at the Comfort Inn down on DeMombrian. And so, which was, by the <laughs> way, this was like 2000. 
five and it was a lot seedier down there it was just a oh yeah a parking a giant parking lot a dirt parking lot basically at the time so um we all comfortable in (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. yeah exactly the uncomfortable in I think someone got an ear infection (laughs) from going in that pool but (laughs) so anyway so I came down here on that trip honestly kind of not um expecting to fall in love with Nashville just thinking it would be something fun to do with some of my friends and I just immediately fell in love with Nashville and they uh, brought us to some uh, writer's rounds and the Station Inn and the Grand Old Opry and I was just like this place is incredible and just also after spending a winter in Boston and everyone being so rude and how cold it was I was like this is amazing it's warm people are nice it's affordable at least at the time and so <laughs> so mm-hmm. then I kind of made my way down here after um, a, co- a few years later after college and um, I got a little derailed from songwriting and ended up being in a couple of different uh, all-girl bands, actually. So I, awesome. um, about a year and a half into being here, I uh, joined this group that ended up becoming the Luna Bells. And it was me and three other women who were actually related, so not related to me. So <laughs> <laughs> side note, interesting <laughs> dynamic to be in a family band that's not your Ooh, own family. It's not your family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially as an only child and you're Talk about the black boy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a challenge. <laughs> so I learned a lot about families. But um, anyway, so we, uh, so that lasted a couple of years. We um, spent the last year together signed to Sony Records, actually. So we had a single come out, do the radio tour, did a bunch of stuff. Um, some, you did a bunch of shows and some stuff with Kenny Chesney. And so it was a, that was a really great experience. I learned through that when it kind of all, um, unraveled like so many bands do that I Mm -hmm. was not built to be an artist, but I appreciate (laughs) what artists do so much because I've done a lot of the 5am wake up calls and being packed in a minivan and all that stuff. And (laughs) What a great experience to start off with in your career in songwriting to see Mm -hmm. that end of it, because now you understand and you have compassion for it. And you also have seen how people think on the record label side and how you have to think when you're an Mm -hmm. artist in terms of what kinds Mm -hmm. of songs you need for a project. So, Oh, for sure. Really great. Yeah. Being able, being able to see how the sausage is made kind of off the bat and like on the other side of like an A&R meeting and how people are listening to songs and recording and what it's like, what it takes to get a record deal. And then also how mm-hmm. the hard work is really after you get the record deal and not before oh, and yeah. stuff. So yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that was a, a time that I definitely wouldn't trade for anything, even though mm-hmm. I realized that that thing that it seemed like everybody, you know, lives and dies for is definitely not, was not my path but yeah. uh <laughs> do you find yourself talking to young artists that you work with about either if they're on the verge of a deal or they're talking about wanting a deal maybe they've just signed one do you find yourself talking to them a lot about what the actual details are and what things mean and what it's actually going to look like because I've had that conversation with lots of friends not even having been assigned label artists but having worked a little bit in various areas and I find that a lot of people love the idea of it and even get really far and then they don't actually know what is um what the day-to-day will look like do you find yourself having those conversations oh for sure I've definitely had that conversation before with artists I mean, that are in the middle of being in a record deal, and I've been able to commiserate with them a little bit about what, (laughs) (laughs) how exhausting it truly is, but also, you know, artists that are 
trying to get signed and and all of that and just kind of explaining what what it really looks like because it's really a lot less glamorous than Mm -hmm. especially in the first couple of years until you're until you get on that tour bus or that major tour I mean a lot of it especially we when we were signed it was kind of in that great spot in between when nobody was buying records and record labels hadn't figured out how to make money off of streaming so it's like (laughs) the sweet spot yeah The black hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just yeah. Yeah. So it was like so everything was in a minivan. We're signed to Sony and we're traveling in a minivan to our radio, you know, visits and stuff. And so it's Mm -hmm. like this is not you know, I was in like the the fold out seat in the back of the minivan with all the gear yeah. next to me and I'm like I have a record deal and I'm mm-hmm. broke right now so but yeah. Yeah. like this is not what each true Hollywood story said no, would be yeah. going on right now <laughs> so so what did the transition look like for you when when that ended and your chapter of being a songwriter began how did that happen well, I kind of realized, like, while I was in um, the Luna Bells, which is the band that um, that I was happiest the days that we were home and writing. Mm. And so I um, enjoyed creating more than recreating out on the mm. road. And so, mm. um, so when I when the band kind of fell apart, I decided that I wanted to go back to why I'd moved here, which was to be a songwriter. So. Um, so I had luckily because of the band had, you know, made some good relationships on music row Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And just, you know, started writing with a bunch of different people and stuff like that. And, um, and that's kind of also how I ended up stumbling into production because I really honestly had no, uh, desire to be a producer, but just when I started writing a bunch, um, I needed to find ways to get demos done that didn't cost $900 every time yeah. I wanted to go, you know, to Beards or whatever it was at the time <laughs> to record a full band session. So I uh, got Logic and was just like, I'm just going to learn how to do like a simple guitar vocal. That's it. Anything more complicated than that, I'll go, you know, go to a go to a band for or, or a session. And then slowly it just kind of snowballed like, oh, well, I learned how to do that. Maybe I can add a drum loop or maybe yeah. I can add mm-hmm. a couple more instruments. And so then kind of before I knew it, you know, within a few months I was like doing, they were, probably sounded like crap, but, but I was doing <laughs> full blown, you know, kind of demos or janky demos yeah. at the time. That's before the, the track, like track guys, really or guys, girls, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's before that really became a big thing in Nashville. And so I'm sure to you looking back now, you're like, oh my God, that sounds horrible. But at the time people were like, oh my God, this is a treasure trove of talent and ability in this session because we get to walk away with a demo. Like, that's um, gold. Yeah, it was It was definitely before that era. I mean, it was way before, like, there was a formula to writing of, like, mm-hmm. there's an artist and a track person and a, to- you know, quote-unquote top yeah. liner or whatever. <laughs> and so it was just, yeah, so it it was, uh, that, that definitely wasn't, like, a, a thing that I saw a lot of people doing yeah. so yeah. Um, how did you see that evolving when did that come about for you where when you became the producer in in the room yeah that's a good question I guess it was probably I don't know in the last like four or five years really where mm. I feel like it like Nashville kind of became this you know it has to be these three pieces in every mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. together so because because I you know came here to be a writer before a producer so I used mm-hmm. to you know so I still love 
which almost never happens, being able to go to other people's studios and, mm-hmm, you yeah. know, and top line or just write with uh, people and then also being able to see what other producers are, how they do stuff, mm-hmm. which sometimes I think is a missed opportunity that we don't get to, yeah. producers get to collaborate mm-hmm. as much writing wise, but yeah. yeah. That really is the only place where I, I have a couple of friends that are producers that say the same thing. They, they love writing songs regardless Mm -hmm. of producing them but we never really think about the fact that the producer is always the fixed piece and the writers and the artists move around in the puzzle and so it's kind of like you said a very missed opportunity unless you're really adamant about hey I'm not producing today let's go somewhere else let's find another producer or even just write ourselves I did a write yesterday in Nashville right now it is Mm -hmm. so sunny and beautiful and we wrote on the rooftop and she brought a guitar she was like I haven't played a guitar in a session in so long and I was like me neither I I have it two feet away and I haven't played a guitar in a session forever I always carry mine around and then I just put it down in the case and it never comes out because I'm in someone else's studio bad luck if you didn't bring it because exactly, that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah it's yeah, yeah you're like i need this to feel like i'm still a songwriter songwriter yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting how that has all evolved to be so sort of piecemeal in a way where yeah. it lands and it lands on you as the producer most of the time to put in so much extra work on each song yeah. like mm-hmm. how much time would you say that you spend outside the time in the writing room working on a song to complete it usually? i mean i First of all, I could spend I could spend every hour that I'm awake working on demos mm-hmm. if I was if mm-hmm. I you know didn't allow myself to have a social life, which a lot of times I mean which I barely have anyways. Mm-hmm. But sometimes on the weekends I'm just like I need to veg out and not worry about these demos or I'm yeah. gonna be burned out for the week. But it really is I would say probably twice the workload of just writing. Like if you're spending yeah. four hours writing, I mean unfortunately I'm a perfectionist so. A lot of times mm-hmm. I will spend about the same amount of hours, at least on the demo, as I did writing mm-hmm. the song. So it is, ever, you know, sometimes I get a little like, man, it sucks. Like these people just, especially just too. like, just like the song. I mean, the artists are busy as hell, mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that I'm busier mm-hmm. than them. But the, but just the pure songwriters that show up and lend their incredible talents to the rights they're just like oh well it's 2 30 i'm gonna go home yeah bye yeah? i'm gonna go i'm gonna go like every once in a while i'll see just like a songwriter post like oh got canceled on today so i went for a nice walk through the park and then i went for a movie and fat and i'm like that must be so nice just to be like i have nothing to do right now but yeah and it's so hard it really is difficult to see behind the curtain because you leave the session and then you just get this beautiful demo I Mm -hmm. remember like uh, during the pandemic right around the start of it was when I was already starting to record my own vocals and teaching myself DIY alone in my apartment Mm -hmm. during quarantine I was like I'm going insane and yeah. I'm not even producing anything. I'm just recording vocals. <laughs> and it was the most eye-opening. I texted my producer friends and I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I I had no idea. And I still don't. But I have like 25% more of an idea. Yeah. And it sucks. As much as it's awesome, yeah. it sucks. A and it's such a good work. tool to have. But it really is something that evolves. So how did you how did you evolve into that and what did that look like on the learning end of things did you have champions and people that you were that were helping you and helping you grow did you have a team at the time that was helping you through this or was it all kind of like 
grassroots DIY learning as you go? A lot of it, honestly, was just learning as I go. Like, I didn't really have any mentors or anything at the time or anyone that I could lean on. It was a lot of YouTube and um, mm-hmm. and a video <laughs> tutorial um, uh, website that I had discovered um, nice. that uh, at the time was called lynda.com. And yeah, I think I've it's, used that one. Yeah, That's what I used. <laughs> yeah, I learned Pro Tools through that. I mean, I kind of taught yeah. myself logic. And then when I did my first project... And I was using Logic and realized I really need to learn Pro Tools. Like once I was done with that, um, I uh, spent like a month just locked in my you know spare bedroom studio at the time and just for and learned yeah Pro Tools through yeah. that. And that was mm-hmm. actually like I t- still recommend that to anybody who's learning Pro Tools. It's way better than just like hunting and pecking videos on mm-hmm. YouTube. Yeah. But do you typically build in Pro Tools or in Logic? Yeah, I actually, once I switched to Pro Tools, I kind of never went back to Logic. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll open it up and be like, I should, because all, all the kids are loving Logic again now. I should, <laughs> And then I just get so frustrated because I forget how I, I'm just so proficient in Pro Tools now. I just Well, don't they're similar but and, different enough to make yeah, you really confused yeah. when you get used to the keystrokes of one and Uh, yeah absolutely yeah for our listeners um we had a question a couple Mm. weeks ago and i was wondering if you could just touch on it briefly for them because a lot of our listeners are up-and-coming songwriters artists etc and we had some production questions so i was just curious if you have any things um that you love when a client or writer comes in where you're like yay this is gonna be stress-free and this is gonna be an easy demo like what are a couple of ways that they can be Mm. the best client or the best co-creator for you and make things as easy as possible so that they get a nice quick product. Um, I guess being like knowing who you are as an artist or knowing what you're looking for references, maybe track wise, if you, if you're referring to like how they want the demo to sound. So, I mean, I Mm. prefer an artist that's a little bit more, um, uh vocal about what they want than just you know easygoing because i mm-hmm. want to make sure that it's something that you know is in the vein yeah. for them so yeah it's like the notebook tell me what you want yeah exactly <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i can't Perfect. help you if you don't so yeah <laughs> yeah you mentioned that you didn't have any mentors um I'm trying to think, is there any other woman in this town who does what you do and did it prior to you doing it? Or are you the first? Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say the first. I'm sure, sure there has, there are others. I I can't think of anyone else. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I mean, definitely, obviously there have been other female producers that have had success, but just, I think the wave of doing it the way that I feel like producers are doing it now with like Mm -hmm. with building and pro tools and a lot of it not just being putting um you know finding incredible players and puting a session together but you know Mm -hmm. the kind of what producer what a producer is is yeah exactly yeah so yeah not not woman wise I mean I had a couple of friends that were kind of coming up at the same time and I would you know every once in a while go to their place and like Forrest Whitehead who produced Mm -hmm. um who was probably about six months ahead of me and and opening up you know logic and stuff and a couple Mm -hmm. of times we wrote together and then he would he was so great about showing me opening up sessions and showing me how he did things and sending me youtube tutorial videos of like production tricks and stuff and so and at Mm -hmm. the time he was just like you know a peer and uh Mm -hmm. who had just some cool stuff and then he ended up producing all those number ones for kelsey and so that's always my advice too to like 
to people starting out production wise is you don't have to wait around for uh I mean I work mm-hmm. I write for Dan Huff now but I didn't have to wait around for Dan Huff I my peers honestly were just as inspiring and honestly probably know some stuff that yeah. Dan doesn't know so when it comes mm-hmm. to you know all the plugins and you know all of that mm-hmm. kind of different new wave stuff yeah how did you get connected with Dan um, well, I was looking for a publishing deal last year and, um, and I got connected. One of my, fr- a couple of my friends write for sheltered music, mm-hmm. which is our, which is my joint venture. And so they introduced me to Daryl Franklin and, um, we had a great meeting and he was just like, he said that he was interested and he was like, you know, it might be a great fit as, you know, him and Dan Hoffer BFFs. And so, mm-hmm. um, he suggested potentially doing a joint venture and so, I just felt like uh, there was gonna, there could be other um, great publishing offers, but being able to work with like the best producer in the mm-hmm. business, in my opinion, was just kind of a once in a career opportunity. So I was lucky. I was coming out of a publishing deal right when Tennille's song was going number one. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's a good spot to be usually. Yeah, looking for man. Deal. <laughs> so what does that feel like having success like that now? Is that changing the <laughs> landscape for you in terms of how easy it is to do what you're doing? You know what? Um, it's interesting because the answer is both yes and no. I mean, as a mm-hmm. songwriter, definitely like it's been easier to get into some rooms that you know, I wasn't able to get into before. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely there's like some, you know, recognition and stuff that feels nice. I mean, I'd been in this town for 12 years before having a number one mm-hmm. song. So I think also waiting that long, it feels like, oh my God, I'm, you know, packed up and moved here from California, which honestly I'd rather be living in if it weren't for this <laughs> yeah. career and being close to my family and where the weather is nicer. And it, and it feels mm-hmm. like, okay, like I... Like I did the thing that I set out to do. It took a little <laughs> longer, but you know, I feel satisfied with that. Um, you know, uh, production wise, like I'm, you know, it, it's still, it's still tough to find like really great stuff to work on and to find stuff that isn't tied to something else or to be given mm-hmm. that shot. And are you um, more drawn to working with female artists? You know, I would love to work with some male artists. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. that um, that I'm that the female producers, or maybe me as a female producer, especially having produced on the all female team and all of that press that came along with the number one, it's usually the first reaction is we got to get you with our young female. We got to mm-hmm. get you. This yeah. female just came to town. This and so. While I appreciate that, and there's a lot of incredibly talented females that I would love to work with, I uh, am hoping to get Why out of... Why can't you just be eat. a great producer? Right, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. I write with tons of guys, and I've gotten guy cuts mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, exactly. So, I'm kind of... That's still one thing that I feel like is a little tough, is the mental barrier of, like, the girl working with the girls yeah. and and you at g- girls as writers too i'm sure have gotten that all the time mm-hmm. where it's like mm-hmm. the publishers reach out they have a great roster of people mm-hmm. they've got two young girls on there and a bunch of like great dudes that are killing it and they're like we gotta yeah. get, yes. we gotta get you with our 16 year old girl that just moved here from montana yeah and, has all, and yes. you're like can i write with some of like your guys though to, like it's just kind of yeah. usually the default no matter yeah that's so true that is so true yeah (laughs) and it's interesting how it kind of keeps it I I don't know how you feel about this I'd Mm -hmm. love to hear your your side of things um 
but it, it's interesting how we do have progress and we keep moving forward, but those tendrils of that mindset and that way of doing things is still so prevalent. And I, I tend to see it a lot more. Um, I work a lot. Uh, I cut my teeth in country, but I work mostly mm. in pop sync and K-pop mm. now. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very interesting thing coming from California, having started out in LA when I was 14 um, and all that stuff. And then coming to Nashville, learning the Nashville way of things and then swinging back to pop and all that stuff again. It's been an interesting thing to see, even when people don't think that they have that mindset or when they haven't been as um, brought up by the industry side of things, it still comes up in little ways that say, would a guy say that or sing that melody? And sometimes it's like, no, probably Mm -hmm. for like a a tone thing or whatever. But um, there's a lot of stuff. Even when introducing you, we were talking about, you know, we've had so many questions about women who are producers and it sucks that we have to specify that you're a woman, but in an industry where that is very rare, it needs to be discussed. Um, And do you have any, have you had any experiences with people as things have evolved and gender equality and equity have become a bigger topic of discussion? Do you have any things that you still are like, it's kind of undercover, but this little thing, I can see that that's a remnant that needs to go away. Um, Or, you know, experiences with the boys club. Have you had a tough time breaking in to that stuff on the industry side or the community side? Like, what Mm. does that look like for you? Yeah. um, Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, you know, some things, of course, you can't like uh, easily say someone's, you know, people don't usually blatantly say, we're not Mm -hmm. inviting you to this thing because you're a girl. But you Mm -hmm. look at most of like the writer's retreats that are like, a bunch of dudes down together drinking and writing in Mexico. And obviously you're not going to yeah. get invited to that. And I, I actually have a couple of times been told not directly from the person saying no, but through a third party that I'm not allowed to get on an artist bus to go write, yes. which is where a lot of rights happen, especially with bigger artists. They're usually just writing out on the road. 80% yeah. mm-hmm. of the artists are men right now at least and women aren't allowed on 80 percent of those buses so just the math of that and then a lot of my production opportunity comes from being in the writer's room with people so it just kind of then you know slowly squeezes out opportunities like that and i also have had a couple experiences where i know that you know a particular writer or or whoever just doesn't write with women period Mm -hmm. because of I don't know, whatever, they don't trust themselves or their wife doesn't trust them. I don't know, whatever it is. It's <laughs> There was a publisher that I used to write for who was so frustrated about that that mm-hmm. situation of not being invited onto the bus because it, you're right, it is so much opportunity for major cuts comes mm-hmm. from going mm-hmm. out. Because if an artist is successful, they're going to be out on the road. They're not going to be sitting in Nashville writing songs. So you have to go to them. And mm-hmm. if you're not allowed to go to them, what do you do, right? And so she was yeah. always like, what do we have to do? Get like a bus and paint it pink and attach it to the back of their bus like Mm -hmm. what do we have to do (laughs) I I literally had had a publisher when I was at Starstruck um who um Courtney Allen she said there was one bus that we were trying to get on and I won't say what it was but she was like do I have to rent a van and follow Mm -hmm. the bus with Alex and so Mm -hmm. like 
I mean, that was basically yeah. because you'd see people that were, you know, at the time, too, like I had a single with Ronnie Dunn and there was some people getting on certain buses that had never had a single. And so the mm-hmm. only equation that I could think of in my mind was just they just don't want females out on. Yeah. Well, on and trips, a, track, so. a, a track building like a producer co-writer mm-hmm. who doesn't just know how to mm-hmm. build tracks but also knows how to write songs mm-hmm. is an absolute hole in one like mm-hmm. you yeah. want that person in mm-hmm. the room writing with you so there's absolutely no reason why someone would should not invite you into a room like that like you have every right to be there there's there's no <laughs> exception being made to put you there so the fact that you were excluded from any of those things i think mm. shows an, a fault in the system absolutely yeah. yeah so and it it affects your ability outside of those rooms to network and communicate and build um relationships with people it's kind of like being left the only kid not invited to the sleepover in middle school and then mm-hmm. everyone comes back to school the next day and they have stories to tell and they're buddy buddy and you're like yeah i mm-hmm. wasn't invited i can't <laughs> i can't contribute to this conversation yeah. and the divide kind of little by little gets bigger and bigger mm-hmm. um and and that is even especially when you're a woman i remember coming to town and, and having great experiences but also showing up to a lot of networking things and this just happens when you're new to town anyways mm-hmm. but especially as a woman seeing guys who had come to town the same time as me um being invited in and you know drinks and all that stuff and i was like I, I mean, I could do a drink, like I could hang out and talk, but there's yeah. just like a little bit of a, there's a difference and there's totally. an inherent mm. um, kind of judgment that goes along with that. Um, so what does your experience um, lend you when it comes to working with artists and really being able to help craft them? Like, what do you think your special talent is when it comes to developing artists developing sounds maybe even your own signature sound or do you consider yourself to be somewhat more of a chameleon more Mm -hmm. of a go with the flow with anything yeah um I mean I try to be a bit of a chameleon I mean I think that like probably my stuff has a little bit of a sound to it that's a little I kind of grew up playing guitar and then when I moved here I was like the first year and a half kind of wanted to be more in the Mm -hmm. Americana world, honestly. So I got really inspired by more of like the rootsier stuff that you'd see down at the station in. And so I started picking up like the dobro and the banjo and the mandolin. And so I feel like that my stuff is probably like a little bit more, um, uh, organic than maybe some of the track stuff that people are doing where they, you know, you know, started doing it a little bit later when they could lean on the synths and all that. And I love all of that kind of pop stuff too. But usually when I even start with something like that, it ends up becoming a little bit more grounded by the end of Mm -hmm. it because I've had mandolins (laughs) and guitars and all of that stuff to it. So how did your relationship with Tennille Arts start and how did that Mm -hmm. sound evolve? So um, I was writing at a company called Reviver, which is also a little was also a little record label, and she was signed there as an artist. And so um, we got set up together because we were both, you know, in, sort of at the same company. And she, um, you know, w- was kind of just starting out at the time. She had released a couple of things, but nothing had really completely taken off yet. And uh, we just kind of started writing together and um I just trying to I was just kind of trying to figure out what 
um, what her, you know, what her thing was. And we had written a few times together and written some good, good songs. Um, but then kind of we, the magic thing was we started writing with Allison Feltz Cruz. And mm-hmm. um, the first song we wrote together was an album cut that was on her previous record to the one that's out. And the song was called Wouldn't You Like to Know? And we're like, oh, we got something really cool here. And then the second mm-hmm. song we uh, we wrote um, was Somebody Like That. And then we were like, okay, this is really... Now we're on to something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we knew that there was something special about that from, one, from yeah. the moment that we kind of started writing that chorus. And mm-hmm. so um, that's kind of when, like, we clicked into something where it was like, this feels like like the Tennille that's been wanting to come out. Cause really before that, um, Tennille was, uh, if you go back and, and look at pictures of her, she was a lot, she was like wore all black at the time. And <laughs> Oh really? I yeah, didn't know that. It's, yeah. yeah, because it, yeah. And she, and, uh, hmm. I mean, I think she was kind of like in a relationship that was not, um, not her current boyfriend that she's been with for three years, which mm-hmm. she says our song manifested him because she, uh, Cause she, cause we wrote that song and then she met him like a month later. So, um, (laughs) but anyways, and then now she wears like all pink and she's very bright and bubbly and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but it is, Mm -hmm. but I I really do think that that song kind of like clicked in to what her sound kind of ended up being. And that's really the most exciting thing to me as a producer writer is find helping find a sound for an artist and then Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. able to work around that and, um yeah kind of figuring out what they what they want to say so i'm not sure that people outside the music industry or for that matter even Mm -hmm. sometimes people inside it understand what a complicated and long process it can be to Mm -hmm. find the right sound for an Mm -hmm. artist it's like it's like landing on a brand landing on an idea and without that sense of what anchors a a, an artist's career what anchors a project together it's like you could just create music and throwing darts all over the map and you just don't really know what you're aiming for. So Mm -hmm. it's cool when that you mentioned that in, in writing those songs, it's like, you know, when you've landed on something that can, that's kind of the seed of what it it will be. And even, even who they are, because there's always that talent. They, I I tend to find that they know who they are and what they can do, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the external things are the things going on in their life. Like you were talking about, she used to wear all black and she was in a place in her life where she wasn't, you know, feeling the best or having the best experience. And, and then when she, they start, you guys started to create this and it manifested different things. And there was this journey to get to who she is now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of it that people don't think about just as much as they don't think about how long it takes to get to the real like golden nugget of who they are mm-hmm. as an artist. It also a lot takes of things the have perfect, to line up. Yeah, yeah the totally. perfect point mm-hmm. in their life and them knowing who they are and what they want and being in a place to be able to communicate all of that. And you as a producer, as a writer, get to see all of the different versions of them. And and it's kind of like a parent like raising a child and mm-hmm. then getting to see them go off into the world and and be excited about that. But I mean, do you have a favorite part of working with artists from from the get-go and then seeing them flourish and go out are there certain points of that journey that are really special to you that you really like to be in or is the whole thing kind of just 
a beautiful blur. <laughs> it's all such a beautiful blur. No, I mean there's I mean there's great moments for different reasons, but like um like watching like I've been a part of a few artists like Opry debuts and that's always mm-hmm. really special. Mm-hmm. Um so and uh one of one really amazing thing was like so when we we wrote somebody like that and it went to radio in January of 2020 and then the world shut down shortly after no one had really heard the song and then when we came out um basically the song went number one right as everyone had kind of start as the world kind of started to open up again mm-hmm. and then going to see the first show that Tennille did that was in front of like that you know <laughs> a couple thousand people and everyone singing the song back to her and then seeing her cry to mm-hmm. like from that reaction, I mean, that's just, it. that was so special, especially because it just kind of seemed like, uh, um, like, not, like, we didn't really get to see much of the journey. It kind of went from release mm-hmm. to, Zero to number 60. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and a yeah, lot COVID of COVID was weird that way. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 COVID was a strange, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah but. <laughs> so was that the first time you had heard your own production go? Well, no, you heard, you've had your own production on the radio before prior to that. Haven't I you? had, um, yeah, I've produced stuff for Terry Clark. And so, right. um, so what, tell me yeah. about the first moment you ever heard something you produced on the radio. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, I think it was, um, well, I had, before that I had produced some stuff for Tara Thompson and she was on Big Machine, but I don't right. know if I ever had the opportunity to really hear the song on the radio because it didn't like mm-hmm. do quite as well mm-hmm. as I had hoped. I think really the first time that I had heard something on the radio was um, was a song that I produced for Terry Clark maybe about four years ago. And uh, she, um, it's, she does uh, like a radio show. And so because of that, the, um, although it, it did well up in Canada, she's a Canadian artist mm-hmm. as Victoria also. Yeah. It's very aware of. And, um, they so it got played well up there but of course i'm not up in canada but they played it on all of like i think it's called like the nash stations or something Mm -hmm. so they actually put it into medium rotation for a while and so a handful of times i would just be driving around and got to hear um got to hear that on the radio and that was really really special so yeah that was exciting that's just that's mm -hmm. even more you than having being a songwriter on the on the record it's like oh these are the instruments i played with my own hands like this well yeah (laughs) well that that one was mainly the terry one i played a little bit on but that was mainly because she's such a such a country artist we went into the studio and and tracked yeah but Tennille's Mm -hmm. song somebody like that that really was 80 percent me because Mm -hmm. that started as a demo that i way over perfected and then they liked it so much (laughs) that i just ended up tracking um real live drums and then i replaced my electric guitars with adam schoenfeld and the rest was just Mm -hmm. my original demo so which sometimes makes me <laughs> I'm which like because is... I'm such a hack of a piano player and stuff like that and I had like a <laughs> crappy bass that I used on it but I'm just like I mean the the public obviously didn't care well, so but <laughs> I just think it's a it's a beautiful thing to see how you have adapted and kept your nose yeah. to the grindstone mm. and kept the fire burning under you to keep learning and figuring mm. out how you're going to 
um, fit in, not only fit in, but thrive mm-hmm. in this business as it's changed. And I mean, it's been a challenge for anyone mm-hmm. in terms of album sales drying oh, yeah. up and all of that through yeah. this time. But for a woman, a, a thousand times more uh, of a challenge. And so I guess we maybe have partly that to thank and, and country radio not playing women to thank for the fact that you're even here doing this because, mm-hmm. you know, Luna Bells would have been huge and you would be out on the road and be an artist. And, <laughs> and so the fact that you're here and that you dug in and learned how to produce mm-hmm. and all of that that brought you to this is um, all of those elements were at play in the process. So it's yes. pretty cool yeah. to look and see what you, you took the lemons and you made your own kind of lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. That, that's a good perspective of putting it. I mean, definitely, like, I remember when the Luna Bells and I broke up and I walked away and cried for about two days straight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I had the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that everyone looks for, which is the big record mm-hmm. deal. And now I'm mm-hmm. not now I don't have that anymore. And then I kind of woke up you know, on day three and was like, I was miserable as an artist. Mm. This is going to be, and it's ended up being, of course, I I feel like a lot of the things that I thought were the worst moments in my career end up being the best moments when Mm -hmm. you go back and look at them because they led led me in the direction that I was supposed to be in. Hmm. It makes Mm -hmm. me really curious if you have um, any advice for up and coming songwriters and specifically for female producers because like you said you don't get to really encounter other producers much Mm -hmm. and I'm assuming that also includes like up-and-coming female producers um do you have any advice for them on how to handle the industry I have a whole bunch of them in my Belmont class and they're all gonna be listening to this exactly (laughs) there's so so many especially nowadays so many more women are getting into production and Mm -hmm. songwriting in general um do you have any anything to say to them that you really wish you would have known or or tidbits Mm. of advice that are helpful for you? Uh, That's a great question. Um, Well, first, like I said before, I think like one of the most important things that you can be doing is just to kind of be learning from your peers and collaborating Mm -hmm. and just seeing, because like I'm constantly... Um, just like the smallest thing will kind of inspire me like a new plugin or some, or a certain way that somebody's using like a delay or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of seeing what your peers are doing um, and not, you know, feeling like you need to wait around for somebody who's above your where you are at the moment to swoop in and help you. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that that's that's really important. Um Gosh, navigating the industry, I feel like I'm always trying to still figure that out. So (laughs) especially since I hate going places and I've kind of used the pandemic as an excuse to not go. But I guess it is important to probably, you know, be going out and meeting people and just, you know, seeing. Alex and I always like run into each other at these events and we're like, hi, we'll stand together and have a drink. (laughs) Neither of us really wants to be here. Your emotional support buddy. Yeah, especially (laughs) in this last couple of years when I when I am dragged to something or feel like, gosh, I really have to go to this. Like, I am so out of practice with talking to people in like a large setting. And I just am, always feel like I'm 16 back in high school, like trying to find like a table to sit at. I'm just oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. same. <laughs> oh, 
so it gets well. better, but it also never gets better. And that's yeah. right. You're always going to feel right. a little awkward. <laughs> oh. You're going to know more, but don't think that you know more. Right. The beauty of it. 100% all of that. <laughs> well, let's transition into our rapid fire mm, questions yeah. here to start wrapping things up. If you could ask God, the universe, your higher power, your higher self, whatever you want to call it, a question, what would it be? Gosh, I, I always, unfortunately, and it's a reason why I go to therapy, but I always want to know <laughs> the end result of everything. I always want to know, <laughs> yeah. am I doing the right thing? Is this going to pay off? Is this going to work out? What opportunities should I be taking? This industry drives me crazy in the way that there's always there's a hundred doors to choose from, and I never know the right one. So yeah, if I could mm-hmm. just have everything, the crystal ball. But, yeah, the crystal. Yes, I'd love. Yes, exactly, a crystal ball. Yeah. All right, number two. If you could clone yourself and live a totally different life, mm. what would the other you want to be or do? Mm, good question. Um, well, I would definitely be living by an ocean somewhere for sure so mm-hmm. um oh you know what okay if this is actually something that i would love to be if i was a lot uh more athletic and cooler but i'd love to be a professional snowboarder actually oh <laughs> i awesome. could totally see yeah. you doing that actually. Uh, yeah, i used to being from california tahoe is only a few hours away so i spent a lot of time oh. there on the weekend snowboarding and i almost yeah. took a year off when I took a year off in between colleges to um, work as a lifty, but I ended up going to Santa Cruz instead for the year with my friends. But uh, anyways, so yeah. (laughs) You may have answered this next question with Mm. the answer to your last question, but (laughs) what's one thing people don't know about you? One other thing they want to know about me is that actually growing up, I was a um, competitive show jumping horseback rider. So Really? Yes, until I was wow. about 20. Yeah, my mother was really into riding horses, so she always dragged me out to the barn from when I was, like, a baby. And so she got me into riding, mm. and, yeah, during the summers and stuff, I'd travel around and do um, show jumping competitions and stuff. And so, that's so cool. Yeah. But that's very mm. time-consuming, so once I went to Berkeley, I had to give it up, sadly. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, we've got a whole other life in athletics. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What is your favorite thing about yourself? Oh, mm. besides my incredible good looks, I would have to say, <laughs> um, I guess uh, I enjoy my sarcasm. I guess that's probably my. <laughs> you sound like so for a for a self proclaimed introvert. You sound like such a fun, like happy, bubbly time. Oh, and I feel oh, like this, totally a fun yeah, time. the sarcasm is there. Fun yeah. In a it's, small it's group. Awesome. I like small groups of fun mm-hmm. times. I don't like big groups that. and I start to kind of shut down. Yeah. So anyway, you get kind yeah. of swallowed up and overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That, that's the best. The sarcastic introverts are, are yeah. really yeah. great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Every friend group should have one. Yes. <laughs> All right, so here's our last one. What advice would you give to the younger you if you could go back and visit yourself mm. at any point yeah, in time? That's a good question. Um, I guess uh, one of the things is that um, to just, if you believe in something, no matter where it is in career wise, like an artist, if they don't have anything attached to them, but you believe in them to just mm-hmm. follow that more than just the people who are assigned to record deals or the people that have the mm-hmm. teams behind them. I think that's, we all have those stories of like, this person was a great singer, but they had 
nothing going on at the time, so I didn't think it was worth my time, and now they have. All, and then you're like, man, I that that was <laughs> <laughs> missed the boat. Yeah, yeah, we just unfortunately all have those stories and mm-hmm. just like Everybody's listen to it. your gut if they're if they're good. I mean, <laughs> if you don't think they're any good, then don't. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, you don't mm-hmm. want to force your but yeah but if you believe in something just that's the most important that's great advice that's really great (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that discernment is such a fine line going back to Mm. your uh your crystal ball it's such a fine Mm -hmm. line and it's so different for everybody else Mm -hmm. um everyone you they could love somebody that you're iffy about Mm. and it's just it's a gut gut instinct and it's hard to choose where to put your energy especially with oh for sure as a producer what you do takes so much time so you have to be picky about who you work with and um but yeah that's great that is great advice listen to the gut more and the industry less (laughs) yeah absolutely for sure for sure well this has been so awesome what a pleasure talking with you alex we've really enjoyed it oh what a blast Um, our listeners are gonna love this episode thank you for spending your precious time with us anytime anytime Mm -hmm. yeah to stay up to date on all things the table on social media join us on instagram facebook or twitter at the handle at sign the table women our theme song stop you is written and performed by yours truly sarah deforce co-written by taylor foley and will Macbeth, and produced by will Macbeth. and as always we'll include links to any creatives music television etc referenced in this episode in the episode notes we'll see you next time on the, the table. table do what you want work what you got say what you think and don't let them stop you stop you don't let them stop stop you don't let them stop you